This is Crossroads with Clayton King. So in this teaching podcast, I'm going to take you with me to our church's summer camp. New Spring Church held our summer camp this past year at Clemson University called The Gauntlet. And I had the chance to preach this message to over a thousand adult volunteers and teenagers. This is a message about the language that God speaks. God speaks the language of love. That's how he identifies himself in the scripture. John says that God is love. But what does that actually mean for us? So you get to sit back now for the next 25 minutes and you get to listen to this message that God used, I believe, in a special way to call many students to salvation as well as a call to ministry. Hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed preaching it. I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the message here at Gauntlet because all week we're talking about hearing God. We're talking about listening to God speak to us and discerning his voice. And I was thinking about the different languages that we speak. I've traveled a good bit. I speak a little bit of uh, Hindi from India. I don't know, I've forgotten most of what I've learned. I speak a little bit of Swahili, just a few phrases, which is a language they speak in Africa. I actually speak pretty good Spanish. I took five years in high school and college. I can speak a little bit of, of Spanish. But I was thinking about the different languages that you hear. And I was thinking about the languages that every single day come into your ears through different mediums in which you live. And, and I wrote this down in my notes. I was thinking about this because I have a 17-year-old son and a 20-year-old son. I know some of the things you hear every day. Our culture speaks the language of distraction. You might want to write this down. Our culture speaks the language of Distraction. Just read the data on this last week. The average teenager in America now spends, I could not believe it when I read this, nine hours a day with a screen in front of their face. Nine hours. Texting, calling, scrolling, just looking at a screen, watching videos on YouTube, looking at people you don't really know on Instagram, sending messages on Snapchat, watching videos on TikTok, nine hours a day. Did you know that same data said that depression, feelings of doom and sadness begin to set in at two and a half hours? So when you hit the two and a half hour mark on your phone, when I hit the two and a half hour mark on my phone, feelings of sadness and depression begin to come over me, but the average teenager in America will spend another six and a half hours on a phone or a screen that day. Our world speaks the language of distraction. Constantly distracted by so many voices. Our culture speaks the language of addiction. The language of addiction. And some of you tonight, like I have struggled with addictions in my life too, you brought some of that with you to the gauntlet. And you hear a lot of talk about this in our culture, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whether it's an addiction to drama. I think that's the new American addiction. I think so many people are just addicted to drama. They just love to stay stirred up all the time about something. That's a language that you hear all the time. I've got a brother I've shared this before from the stage as, as one of the pastors on the team here. I've got a brother who's an, who has been addicted for, I guess now over 30 years. It's a miracle he's still alive. He's been homeless 
now for over 10 years, I know the language of addiction. I was thinking about this too when it comes to the devil. He speaks a language. His language is condemnation. He speaks condemnation. He tells you that because you've done bad things, you're a bad person. Satan is such a liar. Here's what he does. He does this to me. I know he does this to you too. He, he will give you permission to, to, to push a little bit and sin a little bit. He'll tell you it's not really that big of a deal if you sleep around, not really that big of a deal if you explore some sexuality that might be a little deviant, not really that big of a deal if you lie to your parents a little bit. Go ahead. It's okay if you cheat. Everybody's cheating. If you want to get ahead, cheat in school because that's how you're going to get into the college that you want to go to. It's not a big deal. You can, you can go out with your friends and get drunk. You can lie to your parents about where you're going. You're not doing anything really that bad. He'll give you permission to sin, and then the minute you sin, he hops right on your shoulder and screams in your ear, what a horrible, terrible, filthy, rotten human being you are. He speaks the language of condemnation. So our world, our culture, and the devil speak languages. They speak addiction. They speak distraction. They speak condemnation. But tonight I'm gonna to show you God speaks a language. And this is the best one. It's the good one. It's the right one. It's the holy one. It's the life-giving language that you need to learn to listen to tonight. And before this message is over, he's gonna to speak to you. He's already speaking to some of y'all right now. He's already spoken to you last night. Today, he's gonna to do it again. God speaks the language of salvation. So we're gonna look at this. It is the conversion story of a guy named Saul. We call him Paul, Acts chapter seven, verse 58 and following. It says, they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Pause. First of all, Stephen is a young man and Saul is a young man. We don't know exactly how old, but they weren't old, they were young. Saul is, is standing there as they kill Stephen. Now, when they say that they laid their garments, they're, they're, they're like coats at his feet, this was a Jewish tradition. So when a man was gonna kill somebody at a stoning, the person responsible for having them stoned would take off their outer garment, pick up the rock and cast the first stone and then they would step back and they would basically stand there as a witness to this person's death while the group of people that had amassed there picked up rocks and finished the job. So the fact that they're all laying their garments at the feet of Saul, that gives us all the indication we need to know. Saul has just had Stephen killed. Saul murdered him. I gotta set this up for you. You're gonna miss the whole point of what God wants to say to you tonight. Saul was a terrible, terrible sinner. He thought he was righteous because he was Jewish. He thought he was doing God a favor because he's killing Stephen. Stephen's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saul didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Saul has now been responsible for the murder of Stephen. Verse 59. While they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. He's dying like Jesus. Isn't that crazy? When Jesus was being killed on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't, know, they don't even know what they're doing. 
Um, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen is so filled with Jesus that when they're throwing rocks at him and the rocks are crushing his skull and ripping his flesh and breaking his bones, he's not even cursing out the people that are killing him. He's praying, God, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing to me. And he died. Chapter eight, verse one, look at this. Saul agreed with putting him to death. What does that mean? It means Saul, watch. We're on the Clemson campus. If you ever been to a college football game, whether it's at Carolina or Coastal or Furman or Wofford or Clemson or wherever, just imagine this. You got fans. And what do fans do? Fans applaud. They cheer on their team. You know what Saul is doing? Saul is on the sidelines while Stephen's dying. Blood gushing from his body. Bones broken. Flesh torn into pieces. Rocks bouncing off of his body. And Saul is over there clapping and cheering him on. Kill him. Kill him, take his life. This man is pulling people away from Judaism. Kill him, he's a heretic. He is cheering on his death. While I'm taking so much time to set this up, I want you to understand how bad Saul was. I want you to understand how broken this man's religion was. I want you to understand how notorious he was, what a sinner he was. Now, it says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So some devout men went and buried Stephen and they mourned deeply over him. Look at verse three. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house drag off men and women and put them in prison. I'm building a case here. I want y'all to see who this man was. He started a persecution that got Christians beat up, arrested, dragged off to prison, and Saul himself was the leader of the charge. He was the ringleader. We would call him today, y'all, we would call him a religious terrorist. That's literally what we would call him today. He is a religious terrorist. He's killing people because of their religion. How terrible is this guy? How absolutely unredeemable does he look to us? Like how in the world could this guy ever amount to anything? Now, we'll stop here for a second. If I was God, and I was looking for somebody on planet earth to speak to, and I was looking for somebody down here on planet earth to like talk to and give an assignment to, this would be the last guy I would have picked. Because he's notorious, he's bloodthirsty. He's, he's on a crusade to rid the world of a certain kind of people. And this is the last person I would have ever chosen. But he is exactly who God spoke to. Look at Acts chapter nine. Not long after he killed Stephen. Acts chapter nine, beginning in verse three, we are told about something that happened to Saul and I want y'all to notice the voice of God in this story. It's Jesus speaking to him. It says in verse three, as Saul traveled and was getting near Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling down to the ground. He heard a voice, pause. He heard a voice. 
That voice is the voice of Jesus and that voice is still speaking, y'all. He's speaking to some of y'all at the gauntlet this week. He's speaking to some of y'all tonight. And in the next 15 or 20 minutes, he's gonna tell some of y'all it's time for you to follow him and stop fighting him. This voice spoke and the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why did he say his name twice? Because he wanted to get his attention. Y'all know, like, when your mama is mad at you and she calls you by your name, she doesn't just call you by your first name, does she? Calls you by your first and middle name. When I was a kid, I stayed in trouble a lot. And I was mostly in trouble with my dad, but if my mom got mad at me, you better start ducking, because my mom threw stuff at you. And when my mama would say, Clayton Ryan, I knew whatever I'm doing, I, I gotta stop. And if she used all three of my names, Clayton Ryan King, I just knew that my mom was gonna introduce me to Jesus personally if I didn't get right with her real quick. Anybody got a mama like that? Calling you by your first and your middle name, right? You know what that's like? Jesus is calling him twice, Saul, Saul. Did he yell? I don't know. Did he whisper? I don't know. Did he speak? Yes. He called him by his name. That tells me that Jesus knew his name. Don't miss this, guys. Some of y'all don't ever really think about this, but you need to know that Jesus knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows your identity. He knows that your mom and dad split up when you were little and you've blamed yourself for that. He knows that you experienced abuse as a little child. He knows that you feel like your innocence was stolen away from you. He knows that you hide shame because of things that have happened to you or things you've done. Jesus knows all that about you. He knows your name and he loves you. I'll be back in a minute to finish up this message. But before I do, could I ask you to do something would you pray about helping us as a ministry financially? We're a donor-based ministry, and as a nonprofit, we depend on supporters and friends like you to carry out our mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. We have 10 full-time staff members. We have a radio ministry. We have online ministry, free resources, summer camps, student conferences, a missions agency, study tours to Israel and Greece and Turkey, and we do all of that by the support of friends like you financially. And right now, we've actually just purchased and we're renovating a retreat center on Lake Hartwell in South Carolina. If you would like to help us financially, just go to claytonking.com give. That's claytonking.com give. We would appreciate your help. Now back to the message. Jesus, wanted to get Saul's attention. And so he stops him in his tracks. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And listen to what he says. Look at verse five. Who are you, Lord? He asks a question and then he answers it. Hey, who are you? Oh, Lord. This is his conversion. This is Saul's moment where he sees Jesus and the very person he's been persecuting is now speaking to him. Y'all, look, you're not going to offend Jesus so much that he just like runs away from you. He's not disgusted by you. Jesus is not angry with you. He hates your sin, he hates my sin, but he loves you. 
And that's why he comes to Saul and he calls him by his name. And Saul says, who are you? And then he recognizes, oh, this is no ordinary man. This is the Lord. And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Look at verse seven. The men who were traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand, and they led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. That is amazing. Verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. See, God's speaking. He spoke to Saul and now he's speaking to Ananias. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he's praying there in a vision. He's seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem and how he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all the ones that call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went to the house, placed his hands on Saul and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were traveling has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at how many times God speaks in this story. Look at how many times God talks. He speaks to Saul, stop persecuting me. He speaks to Ananias, go lay your hands on Saul and tell him that he's gonna suffer a lot for my name because I've called him to preach the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles to stand before princes and kings. Go tell him what I'm saying. What does this story have to do with you? I want you to think about this. God spoke to Saul and he said something significant. Now guys, I don't know that you're gonna hear God you know, speak in an audible voice tonight, I will tell you in my life, three times I've heard God speak in an audible voice. That's it, only three times. I've been a Christian for 36 years. Some people never hear an audible voice. They sense God speak to them in their heart. They feel a nudge. They feel a, a tug in their heart. Sometimes God confirms it with other people. Sometimes God will confirm it with something you didn't even expect. When I was in high school, one of the first people I ever led to Jesus was a guy named Adrian Brazier and um, went to Hillcrest with me. When he got saved, he loved rock and roll music and he got convicted. He's like, you know, I just need to quit listening to rock and roll for a while. So he got rid of all of his records. Now, this is like 1988. So we were still listening to like cassettes and records back then, you know, when Dirt was new and Moses was a teenager. And um, so he got saved and uh, he's like, I'm gonna get rid of all of my secular music and I'm only gonna listen to Christian music, but there's one band I'm gonna keep listening to. They're my favorite band and I've prayed about it and I don't think God hasn't spoken to me and told me to get rid of this band. And I was like, well, what band is it? He said, it's Bad Company. It's a band called Bad Company. And I'm like, well, do whatever the Lord tells you. Two weeks later, we're driving down the road going to football practice and he had a Mazda, like I think it was a 323. And uh, I was like, so Adrian, you've been a Christian for a couple of weeks now. How's your quiet time going? He goes, man, I've been meaning to tell you, God spoke to me in my quiet time this morning. I was like, really, what did he say? He goes, well, you know how 
I didn't give up my favorite band a couple of weeks ago when I got saved. I was like, yeah, I remember you telling me about that. He goes, well, this morning I was reading a verse in 1 Corinthians and it said, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good judgment. And he pushed eject on his tape deck. If y'all don't know what that is, YouTube it. He pushed eject on his tape deck and he literally grabbed a cassette and threw it out the window, went right past my nose, out the window. Sometimes God will speak to you like that, but sometimes it's different. And he just gives you this sense that he loves you and he wants you to know something. And I believe that's what God's saying to some of y'all right now. I love you. And whatever sin you've committed, I will forgive it if you'll ask me. But more than that, I believe God is saying two things tonight from this scripture to us. I believe he's saying, you have a purpose and I have a plan for you. You have a purpose and I have a plan for you. God has something for you to accomplish in this life. Your generation feels across the board, meaningless and purposeless. Every statistic, all the data, I'm in student ministry, I read this stuff so I know it. And I'm telling you that the noise of our culture is telling you, you are random, you descended from animals, you come from evolution, you are not intuitively valuable to anyone, you're, you're just a clump of cells. I mean, think about our culture. Think about what our culture values. Think about the world that you're growing up in and how many of your friends don't even know why they're here. But you tonight get to hear God speak to you. You get to right now hear the voice of God say, I have a purpose for your life. You're not random, you're not an accident. You're not an oops. You belong here, I have a purpose for your life. When he spoke to Ananias, he said, go tell Paul, Saul, his name was changed to Paul later. Go tell Saul all the things he's gonna suffer for my name. God's purpose for Saul was that, get this, the persecutor would become a preacher. The killer would become a Christian. That the man who martyred Stephen would become a man of God that would write half of our New Testament. That was God's purpose for Saul. Now, can we just get real honest right now? Can we get real practical right now? What lies have you believed from the enemy when he tells you that your sin has disqualified you from God's love and that you'll never amount to anything because you've messed up too many times? So you've cheated on a test. So you've used bad language. So you look at things that you shouldn't look at. So you backtalk your mom and dad. I'm not trying to dismiss those things. Those are sins that Jesus can forgive. But if Jesus Christ can speak to a murderer who not only killed Stephen, but was locking up Christians and dragging them out of their own house. Imagine that. He's literally dragging them out of their house and taking them to prison. If Jesus can say, I got a purpose for that guy. If that guy can be used by God, how much more can God use you for his purposes? How much more can God anoint you for ministry? How much more can God speak to you and say, I've got a purpose, your life has purpose and I have a plan for you. I've heard this phrase before that the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you discover why. And the reason that resonates is because it's all about purpose. 
When we know what our purpose in life is, we live life differently. And that's my heart for this message. It was my heart when I preached it at my own church for our student camp, and it's my heart for you. I want you to know that God loves you. And because He has that great affection for you, He has things for you to do. He wants you to make a difference in this world. God has a purpose for your life, and you're not random. So I hope that you'll, on the backside of this message, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you not just the reason that you were born, but what God wants you to do right now for Him. He can use you. In spite of your past, despite your failures, God's grace through the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. And many times, it's the toughest things you've ever been through that can become your greatest testimony. So ask God to show you purpose and live in His love. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.